0: over 40 years ago, when we worshipped in West Virginia, uh, about every spring we used to have a gospel meeting. Do you remember what those were? Um, And and there was a fellow that always came, and I was introduced to him at the time and didn't realize that I'd be introducing his son uh, at some point. But Frank Higginbotham uh, was a minister in the West Virginia area. And I was always a delight to have he and the family come in and, and to, uh, conduct the, the meeting every year. It was just kind of a standing thing that we did and, and, and to have Frank there was always uh, uh, really a neat thing to get to know him and the family. And it's always good to have someone follow up with that and have somebody that you can look up to. I, I just had to throw that in, what it was worth, Steve. <laughs> But uh, Steve has been here on a number of occasions, currently preaching in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. Still keeps up, by the way, with West Virginia, but uh, his uh, roots were there for a while. But it's good to have he and his wife, Kim, with us uh, for this weekend. Uh, if you were here last night, uh, late afternoon, and you heard his presentation, you know uh, how he thinks and how he feels about the gospel and what a great job that uh, he does uh, as a servant uh, of God. And so we're looking forward to his message tonight, and uh, we'll have him speak here after uh, the prayer, a couple of songs, and our scripture reading. Would you bow with me as we glorify God in prayer? Father, as we approach you this evening, humbled and realizing that we're speaking to our Creator, to our Father, Father to the one who makes all things possible in our lives. We're so grateful that we have a Father who has promised us so many wonderful things throughout his word. And your word is is so wonderful as we we read it, as we study, and as we find you in our lives each day. We're so thankful that you had a plan. And from the time of the beginning until the present, that plan is still there. And Father, as we think about your Son and the glorious sacrifice that you had in this plan to make him our Savior, we're so indeed thankful that we can come to you in our behalf and pray through him, knowing full well that we have an eternity waiting for us as obedient servants of yours throughout our time on this earth. Father, we're thankful for the faith that we have We're thankful for the opportunities that we have to meet together as a family. We're thankful, Father, for this past weekend, for the time that we've had in this area to bring churches together, to bring families together, to bring people together, and all of us to affirm our faith and to realize how strong it can be as we serve you. And tonight, as we sing these songs, as we praise your name, as we glorify you, We pray that all of this will be carried through as we go through the week. And although we think about sometimes of saying and asking for you to be with us, Father, we know you are with us. The prayer that we offer is one that would say, would we be with you? Keep us strong. Keep us looking to you. Keep us seeing Jesus in our lives as we go through this week. Father, for all these blessings, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And as a second, it is like you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments to be in all the laws of the prophets. Please be seated. Good evening. Hope you have your uh, Bible with you tonight and let's do a little bit of Bible study and we'll uh, be looking at a passage here directly but I'll, I'll not tell you what it is yet but just have your Bible ready. I, I do want to say thank you for uh, the invitation to be here, my wife and I, this weekend. This is a great uh, thing that is done among the churches here and uh, very uplifting and very encouraging. We get to go home and, and be encouraged by, uh, people that we don't, uh, well, get to see very often and, uh, n- new Christians and new faces and, but we have a common love for the Lord and that's, that's encouraging. So, uh, I, I want to thank you for that and the opportunity to speak tonight. We, we couldn't find a flight that kind of worked in Knoxville, uh, on Sunday afternoon, so we, we have to leave in the morning. And uh, we'll be doing that. One, th- one thing, um, well, th- this is not as bad as I thought. When when I saw you standing behind it, I thought, this is really a short pulpit. I don't know if I could use that, but it's okay. Um, everybody always tells me, it's before my time, but some of you may remember Ju- um, Mutt and Jeff. You know, I don't know. I get that all the time, especially when people... Uh, <laughs> like you were standing beside me, uh, people will people will say something about that, and I don't know what that means. But maybe some of you do. Uh, when I was uh, when when Carnes hired us uh, ten years ago, we moved to Carnes, and and I was really honored. I thought, wow, this is such an honor to be able to work with this congregation. And and then I got into the auditorium and I saw the pulpit, and it's a monstrosity. It is this huge thing. If you're just a normal person, I remember one person that would get up and pray. You'd just see the top of his head. That's all you could see. And I was hired because of my height, I think. that That's it. And and so I was humbled pretty quickly. We're going to talk about the Ethiopian eunuch tonight. So you probably know where to turn in your Bibles, right? Um, Maybe. I'm going to tell you, I dare say that nobody's going to turn in the right direction tonight. But we are going to talk about the... What was the Ethiopian eunuch's name? Do you know? Yeah, you're saying we don't know, but we do. It's in there. just depends on which Ethiopian eunuch you want to talk about. Did you know there's more than one in the Bible? I have a series of lessons that I've entitled, It's Not What You Think. And uh, we go through a, a number of uh, lessons that everybody will, you know, they get ahead of you. Ethiopian eunuch, everybody's turning over to Acts chapter 8 to get there because that's where it is. But that's not what we're talking about. It's not what you think. Uh, there's a lesson that I have on David and a giant that does battle. Everybody's, oh, I know that. You know, David and Goliath. But did you know David fought another giant? Besides Goliath? And did you know that giant would have killed David had he not had help? Oh, I don't know that story. Is that in there? Well, yeah, it is. It's not what you think. Um, and so this Ethiopian unique is uh, from Jeremiah chapter 37. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it to Jeremiah chapter 37. And I'll give you a little bit of background, and then we'll just make some points uh, from this man's story that I think help us in trying to live our life out under uh, Jesus. Romans chapter 15 and verse 3 says, The things that were written aforetime were not written for their learning, but they were written for our learning. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The Old Testament, don't let somebody tell you, why do you preach from the Old Testament? We're We're under the law of Christ, the Old Testament, why are you going back there? Because it was written for us. That's what the text says. And there are so many practical lessons that you learn about the character of God, what he values, and, and the actions of people that were righteous and holy, and what made them so. And uh, those kinds of principles are filled in the Old Testament. I love to go to the Old Testament and oftentimes look at obscure characters. Because even though they may be obscure... Why would God see fit to record information about an obscure character? There must be something in there about this person that we can learn from and uh, so that's what we're going to do tonight jeremiah chapter thirty seven uh, judah uh, Israel and Judah had split uh, the nation the northern kingdom the southern kingdom uh and and the they were about to be overrun by the Babylonians, Judah was. And they had encompassed the city of Jerusalem. And they're just besieging the city. They're going to run out of food, water. It's going to be horrible. And um, so as those who were inside of the city, they're scared to death. We're in big trouble. But to their uh, advantage, the Egyptians come up from the south... And it scares the Babylonians who were besieging the city. So they left. They thought, we're going to have to do battle with Egypt. We're not quite ready for that. And so they left. And everybody in Israel said, we won. Hooray for us. And there's this prophet Jeremiah. And he says, you haven't won anything. They'll be back. Oh, you may have a little respite here. But I'm telling you... The Babylonians are coming back. God has already revealed that he's going, they're going to take this city and and kill many of us, and some of us will be sent off into captivity. That will happen. Don't mistake any, uh, don't think anything else. They think, well, they're leaving, we're going to be okay. Well, during this reprieve, Jeremiah goes outside of the city walls, and they capture him. He's a troublemaker anyway. He's he's raining on their parade. This is a day of good news. And he says, hey, don't get all, uh, you know, excited about this. In fact, he said it this way. I'm telling you, we're going to fall. And if every soldier of the army is gone, and only those who are wounded and laying down, they will rise up and take this city. There's no way we're going to survive this. They're coming. Well, he's deflating their, their heart. And so when he goes outside the city, they say, he's accusing, he's, he's trying to defect to the enemy. And we got him. We caught him dead to rights. And they brought him in. They accused him of treason and they put him in prison. And then they eventually bring him to the king, Zedekiah. And Zedekiah says, tell me what the Lord has to say. Do you have a word from the Lord? Jeremiah says, well, yeah, I do. And it's what I've been saying. We're going to fall. God's going to discipline us. And the men come to Zedekiah and say, you got to do something about this. This, these are loose lips in, in perilous times. He's going to, he's going to take the wind out of all of us. We're already afraid. You got to do something about this man. And so Zedekiah says, just take him and, and throw him in prison. So they took him to that well. You know the story, right? Jeremiah was thrown in that dry well, and but it was muddy at the bottom, and he just sunk down into the mud. And they left him there. That's when this other Ethiopian eunuch comes on the scene. If you look in your Bibles... There is, in, in verse um, 6 of chapter 38. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon. And uh, it was, uh, they, they let him down in ropes. And in the dungeon there was no water but mire. So Jeremiah sank in the mire. Now here's your trivia question. What was the name of the Ethiopian eunuch? You can get your friends on that. Uh, now Ebed-Melech. The Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. When king When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Ebed-Melech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord, the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. And he's likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there's no more bread in the city. All right? First point, this Ethiopian eunuch is brave. He's willing to say something's right and something's wrong. You know, we lack that courage in our culture today. How, how many people are afraid to speak out and say, that's right, that's wrong, that's a sin. Um, we, 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 those are words you don't want to use. Sin, that that's offensive. Uh, You know, you're going to hurt somebody's feelings if you tell them their lifestyle is sinful. Ebed-Melech, when he heard and saw what they had done to Jeremiah the prophet, he sticks his neck out on the line and goes to the king and says, this was done under your reign, and I'm telling you, what you, you have done is evil. We need to be so bold to be able to stand up for truth. You know, yesterday we talked about one of the lessons was that Jesus was full of grace and truth, John 1 and verse 14. We need to be gracious people and kind, but we need to tell the truth. And there are times when we have to stand up against what's wrong and and let our voice be heard. And this Ethiopian eunuch had the, the courage to do that. Isaiah warned of a time, Isaiah 5 and verse 20, when people would say, evil is good and good is evil. He pronounces a woe upon those who call evil good and, and uh, good evil and call light for darkness and darkness for light. Man, we live in that time. Uh, you know, all the things, listen, go back a generation and and when our parents and our grandparents lived and and we think about the things that the just the moral standards the basic morality of our culture are we calling things right today that they would have said were wrong then we're we're calling evil things good and and today those evil things if you call them evil then you're the one that's evil don't let somebody steal your voice we need to speak for God. We live in communities. People who are sometimes groping for God and they don't know how to find Him and they don't know what to look for. And, and there's all these moral dilemmas in our culture. And there's so many voices that are speaking different things. And there are people who are looking for a way to the light. We need to be their way. We, we should be the moral voice of our communities. If somebody wants to know what's right, what's wrong, what's, what's wrong with this, what's right with this, it, we as members of the body of Christ should be the ones who stand out front and say, I, let me be a moral leader. I, I'll stand up. I'll fill that role. Follow what I had to say. Compare it to the scriptures. Don't just sit back idly when issues affect our community and our nation, our culture. If anybody should be heard if any voice should resonate through the land it should be the voice of god's people saying this is right or this is wrong and here's why and we can certainly do that and be gracious at the same time hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14 talks about how that we need to exercise our our senses To be able to discern between good and evil. Not everybody can do that. But those who are familiar with the Word of God can. Ebed Melech saw what they did to Jeremiah the prophet, and he said, That's not right. It's evil. And and then the next thing that he did is that he went and told the king that. We can sit around in Bible class, we can sit around in church like this, and we can talk about these things and talk about moral problems of our culture, and, and everybody has their two cents, and, and we all just talk about it. and we pat each other on the back and say, we got this thing nailed. That's absolutely wrong. And then we just leave. But then what happens? You know, okay, well, we moralized, but, but what are we going to do? This man did something about it. He said, this is wrong, and I'm not going to stand by and let it happen. I'm going to go to somebody who can do something about this. And so should we. Here's a second thing that I see in his life that kind of amazes me is that he was concerned about this prophet even in the midst of his own trouble. I mean, he's in up to his neck. If what Jeremiah the prophet had said is true, and it was, he may not survive. Because the Babylonians are coming back, and they're going to besiege the city, and there's going to be great famine in the city, and, and all kinds of horrendous things happened during this period of time. Ebed-Melech may die in this uh, assault. A lot of people, when they get into trouble, can only think about themselves. Have you ever noticed that? It's just about me now. You know, I've got this problem in my life, and don't bother me with anybody else. I've got a problem myself, and I need to take care of me. And it's me, 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 me. And then, well, it doesn't work well. It's not the way God made us. Um, ebed Melik was fighting for his life, his own life. But he says, I'm not worried about me right now. I'm going to speak up for this guy over here because that's not right. I I may have said this a couple years ago when I was here on a Sunday night, but I I went to visit a lady that was just so unhappy. She was the complainingest woman I've ever met. Uh, I don't know how to say it. And and I told Kim before I went to her house, I said, well, I'm going to go see Miss So-and-so. And I'm not going to let her just complain. I'm going to make her realize how blessed she is. And so that was my challenge. I left. I went to her house, and I knocked on the door, and she says, Well, it's about time you got here. I thought you forgot where I lived. When's the last time you came to visit me? You know, just started in on me really good. And so I came in, and she said, Oh, my hip. You don't know how bad my hip's been hurting me. And I said, But aren't you thankful? Because Brother So-and-so just had to have hip replacement. His was so bad. She didn't want to talk about brother so-and-so. My knee. Oh, my knee is really bothering. Well, aren't you thankful though that you're not like sister so-and-so who just had to have knee replacement? My back. We just went all over the place. She, she won. I gave up by the time we were done. But my point is she was miserable. She, she couldn't She couldn't find any blessings at all in her life. And that, to this day, was one of the most miserable ladies I've ever met in my life. And I think I know why. Jesus said it this way. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And all she wanted was to receive. She wasn't interested in anybody else. She wasn't going to get outside of herself it was all about, what is somebody going to do for me? And that's not the way God made us to live. In Ephesians chapter 2, we are created in him to be workmen. for We're created for good works. You can take a fish and put it out of water and lay it right here, and it's just going to flounder. It'll flop around. It can't do anything. Put that in its element and, man, it can just zip and turn, and, you know, it's, it, it's what it's made for. God said, I made you to serve. And when you stop doing it, you're out of your elements. And you're not going to be happy, and you're not going to find fulfillment, because that's not the way God made you. And so we need to, we need to get outside of ourselves, as ebed Melik did, what, what happened to love your neighbor as yourself? The second greatest commandment. It's uh, not an optional thing. It's not a peripheral thing that is, is well, if you find time sometime, do that. This should be a pursuit of ours. Look out for other people and encourage them and, and get involved in their lives. And the paradox is... That when you do that, your burden will become lighter. It really will. And, and those may sound like empty words, but until, it, when you try it, when you do it, it's like the Lord said, taste of the Lord and see whether he is good. And, and that's what we have to do. Trust him enough to get outside yourself and help other people and you'll say, Hey, this works. This is, this is good. Here's another thing that I see um, from this other Ethiopian eunuch, and and it's this that his concern led him to action. He did something about it. It wasn't just moralizing, he actually went and, and said, We got this problem, let's fix it. And he volunteered himself. It's not enough to identify problems. James 2 says, Okay, somebody comes to your door, they're naked, they're hungry, they're thirsty and you say, be warmed and filled, have a good day, slam the door. He said, that faith won't save you. That whole context of uh, James 2, we sometimes use it to say, see, this, denomination, <clears throat> this denominational view of salvation at the point of faith without any further acts of obedience, it's discredited by James 2. Well, and it is, but that's not who James was talking about. James wasn't talking about denominations when he wrote James 2. He was talking to baptized believers just like you who are sitting in the pews tonight, who are Christians. And he's saying, just because you're Christians, do you think a faith that doesn't work is going to get you to heaven? It won't. Faith without works is dead. He was telling us that, not people outside the church. That's a message for me. So... You know, here's this obscure character and, and we see three things immediately that he did. He spoke up and was willing to identify evil and good. A lot of people aren't able to do that today. He, he also was willing to put himself on the line for another person in the midst of his own trouble. He got outside himself. He actually volunteered to do something about it. And, and, um, here's the, the, And what he did is he got ropes, had some men go with him and said, we'll we'll get him up if you'll let us. But here's the fourth and the final point that I see from his life. And it comes from um, chapter 38 and and verse 12. Then Ebed-Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, please... Put these old clothes and rags under your arms, under the ropes, and Jeremiah did so. And they pulled Jeremiah up with the ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon, and there Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Here's what I want you to see. He went beyond the call of duty. They had ropes. They can rescue them. All they have to do is say, hey, put the ropes under your arms, we'll pull you up. But that's probably gonna hurt, you know? You might get some rope burns. And so what he did is he went the extra mile and he took cloths and he threw it down there and he said, put those cloth around the ropes so that when you put it under your arms, it won't, it won't hurt you. Did he have to do that? No. Not to be saved, not to save this guy, but he did it because he went the extra mile. Didn't Jesus teach that? Go the extra mile with people. Uh, do what's unexpected of you. The, the very illustration used in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about going the extra mile. It, it has this Roman imagery where the Roman soldiers could, they had mile markers on the road, just like we do in our highways, and you were compelled to carry his load for a mile. And and nobody would, how would you like to be working out in your garden and some soldier that you think is an interloper anyway, you don't want him there, But he's overtaking you, and you can't do anything about it. And he says, hey, you, put your hoe down and carry my backpack for the next mile, which is two miles for you because you, I assume, want to go home. So every step would be filled with resentment toward this soldier. And so you get to the end of that mile, and he says, just put it down there. And you say, no, that's okay. I'll go another mile with you. Do you not think that would cause that Roman soldier to say, what? Why? And what an opportunity to talk about Jesus by that disciple because of his being willing to be inconvenienced. When you go the extra mile in other people's lives, it opens doors to talk about the gospel of Christ. I, I had a friend who, we were doing something, a project in one of the Bible classes a few years ago, and um, we were challenging people to do go beyond what is required of them and, and go out and serve other people. And so he was at a car wash, and uh, he heard, you know how when you get down to the 10 seconds, it starts beeping on you? beep 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 and so he's walking by he just got all of his change and that guy still had his car soaked up and the time's running out on him so he just stopped and he put some quarters in that guy's car wash and then just kept right on walking to his car and started to wash it that man stared at him like what in the world and he washed his car finished it up and then he didn't leave he waited there until my friend finished his car, and he came over and he said, Do I know you? And he said, No. And he said, You you put money in my time, right? He said, Yeah. Why? Well, because you were beeping down. You were almost out of time, and I saw you still had uh, a lot of washing to do. Yeah, but why would you do that? And he just said, well, because I'm a disciple of Jesus. And that guy said, where do you go to church? And he told him where he went to church. And and that man said, you know what? I'm going to come visit you. Because if that's the way you all act, if that's the the way that you live out your faith in Jesus, I want to learn more about you. You see, that's what happens when we do more than what is expected. No one would expect a total stranger to put money in a guy's car wash, but he did it, and it gave an opportunity to talk about Jesus. Those things abound every day. We just have to open our eyes to it. On one occasion, I had the very same thing happen. We were in line to get my son's driver's license. He had passed his test, and and there was a girl... Right in front of him and she was so excited because she had passed too. They were friends at school and they were talking and she got up to the, the, the desk and, and is your name so and so? Yes, ma'am. She said, uh, do you live at such and such? Yes, ma'am. And went through all this and then said, that'll be $12. $12? $12? I didn't know this cost anything, and she had no money on her. And she said, "I'm going to have to run home, I guess, because I don't have any money." And I was standing right behind her. So you know what I did? Absolutely nothing. I let that poor girl go home. I had twelve bucks in my wallet. I could have, I could have just reached out and said, "Here, do this, pay for your license, go your way," and she would have gone home and said, "Man." Do you know they charge for license? Anyway, I got my license, and Mr. Higginbotham paid for it. And, you know, the preacher down there at the church, he paid for my license. And how much good PR could have been done through that? But, like, I'm oblivious, and I make that girl go home and get her own money. There are things, opportunities that present themselves. And sometimes we just miss them. But I'm saying open your eyes to the possibilities to go the extra mile with people, and you'll be given opportunities to testify uh, the name of Jesus. And so here's a guy tucked away in the Old Testament. Maybe you never even heard of him. Um, But he's worth studying, isn't he? I learned some good things from this man's life. and, And he challenges me today. In my walk with Christ, I need to speak up and, and identify truth and error. I need to speak up for what's right and, and call what is evil, evil. I need to do it in kindness and love. I need to, to work, get outside of myself and work for other people's good. And I need to go the extra mile with people. and That's the way Jesus told us to live anyway. I just need to be reminded, and this man reminds me, if I could be more like this other Ethiopian eunuch, I think we'd all be better people. Um, his name's Ebed Melek, So next time somebody says, or next time you're talking about the Ethiopian eunuch, say, do you, "Do you know what his name is?" I do. And then you can introduce him to the other Ethiopian eunuch. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, I hope you obey the gospel. Jesus said, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. I absolutely trust him that he's telling the truth. And if you trust him, then I hope you'll do that tonight. If you've already done that and and there's sin in your life and you want to just step out and say, I've done this long enough. I want to be right with God and I want my brethren to pray for me. uh, we, We invite you to do so as uh, we stand and sing this song of encouragement.